Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals, and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair, and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world. Hello, everybody. This is Chris, and it's almost my birthday. I'm recording the intro for episode 17 so welcome to the 17th episode of endurance horse podcast today is april 20th 2019 i'm so glad you've all joined us and come along for the ride i apologize for my squeaky saddle i know i need to oil it i'm sure you guys can probably hear it anyways i am just wrapping up a ride doing about five and a half miles on houdini he doesn't have any endurance goals, but, well, maybe maybe if we can manage his arthritis, he might carry my son through a couple endurance rides. But it's okay if he doesn't. Just keeping him conditioning keeps his arthritis at bay, so um, it helps manage it a little better than if we let him sit around like a couch potato. But I wanted to thank everybody that sent in audios. You are the guys who make this podcast so wonderful. And I'm almost back to the trailer. I'm less than a quarter mile from the trailer. I trailered out to the, the Kettle Marine State Forest in Wisconsin. And um, man, does it feel good to have warm weather again. I know the mosquitoes are already waking up. But it's just a gorgeous day. I am so thankful um, to be able to go out and ride. And I, I've seen these little Facebook pictures that are memes and one of them just came to mind that said um if you're lucky enough to have a horse you're lucky enough so i know there's a lot of other things in life but today i am just so grateful to still be able to get on a horse and go and um i hope you enjoy this episode i know i love listening to these stories and i just know you will too Hi everyone, this is Audrey Hager reporting in. You last heard from me in episode 14 when I first introduced you to Jazz, the Tennessee walking horse I ride. Jazz's registered name is Dancer Southern Princess. And just an update on her, in 2018, it turns out we were the Tennessee walking horse of the year for AERC. And... Her and I won the Texas Endurance Riders Association Horse and Rider of the Year. So that was really nice. Uh, just some awards. Um, we did quite a lot of riding. We did quite a few back-to-back 50s last year. So this year, um, just kind of want to see what else we can do. So in January, with Jazz, I did a 50-mile ride, and she did pretty good. And then the next day... I decided, oh, let's do a 25-mile ride. Uh, and we actually ended up BCing that 25-mile ride. She was fabulous, like, the whole ride. It was the most fun I've ever had. We were just galloping through hills and fields, and it was just a lot of fun. So then in February, there was another ride, and I figured, okay, she's fit. I'm just going to see what she can do. Uh, but it turns out, I think I got my ego got the better of me 
and we went out a little too fast in the beginning. And about two weeks prior to this February ride, Jazz had started losing some weight. But, you know, I didn't think too much of it. I figured she's in shape, you know, she's conditioned, she should be fine. But about the halfway point of the ride, we were pulled for lameness. It could have been that I went too fast up the hills. It could have been uh, that I did forget to uh, electrolyter at one of the holds. It was very intermittent, um, probably just a muscle spasm type of thing. So that was disappointing, though. So we get back to the ranch, and, and uh, the owners test her, and we realize, oh, she has parasites. That's why she was losing the weight. And so she's had the past seven weeks off, and so just in the last week or so, I've been riding her again, and I am planning to do a 50-mile ride next weekend uh, in Texas, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, but I think I've learned my lesson. I'm not going to try and go too fast. I'm just going to go for the finish, and I have to make sure that uh, I regulate Jazz's speed because she wants to keep up with the other horses, but I have to kind of be the leader and make her realize, no, you can't canter up up and down all the hills. You know, we got to take her time. I have been riding some other horses also. So while Jazz has been on break, I've been riding a six-year-old Tennessee walking horse, also owned by uh, Bobby Lieberman. Her name is Athena, and she probably has the most personality of a lot of the horses I've ridden. She's super curious and just loves to kind of be out on trail and, and see what's around the next bend. So she's very young. She's only six years old, and she was only really started under saddle in the last year. Um, and I took her to two intro rides in March. And, uh, you know, some people might say, oh, Audrey, you know, why are you doing the intro rides? You know, you do 50s all the time. Well, you know, you got to enter the ride that fits you and your horse. Athena definitely was not ready for an LD. And I wasn't even sure if she was ready for the intro rides because prior to that, we had only done really 10-mile conditioning ride. So this was a bit of a stretch. But I knew the course. I knew the trails. And they were flat and not too difficult. And in the end, Athena did really well. Uh, other riders at the ride were laughing because I had put a for sale sign on her, but she is for sale, uh, looking for her next uh, riding partner. But uh, they laughed because at the beginning of the ride, she really was kind of jumping around, nervous, did some airs above the ground, and it was kind of all I could do to kind of like keep her attention on me and not worry about all the weird camp things going on. Uh, so for the first three miles, it was a bit uh, uh, nerve-wracking, I'll say. But then she calmed down, and she relaxed, and we just had just um, a lovely ride. So she really just needs more experience. Uh, this was her first time camping, her first time at a ride with all the other horses and everything going on. So she did really well, considering. And now there's a third horse I've been riding named Fatima. She's a 13-year-old Arab that her friends owns, and... The friend rescued her from a kill pen and just wants some help, you know, getting her under saddle and getting some experience on her because she's really got nice confirmation and we think she'd really do well in endurance. So my friend really has to constantly remind me that she's really only had now four or five rides 
that's it. Like training rides, that's it. Uh, and just last week, we did a seven-mile trail ride, and she did really as well as can be expected. So I'm really happy with how her conditioning is going, and I hope to do an intro with her in uh, May. May would be the next ride for that. So uh, if all goes well, you know, I'll send some updates on how she's doing. But uh, that's it for now, and happy trails, everybody. Bye. Hi, everyone. My name is Bridget Helms. Um, I was featured on an episode a few months back, and I'm just going to talk to you about what my horse and I are doing now. If you listen to my previous episode, I ride a quarter horse. He's 10 years old. I raised him from a baby. I still own his mom and dad. And last year, we started an endurance kind of by accident. Um, I wasn't sure how he was going to be at it, but I took him out for a ride one day with my now mentor. And she said, hey, your horse, he's not going to have any problem at all doing this. And I trusted her. And we just kept going with it, and we did two 25s last year and a 50. And that's how we finished our season in September. So he had most of the fall and winter off just because we were finished building a house. And then, of course, I'm in northeast Wyoming, and we had a pretty brutal winter here. It was very cold. Um, I rode a little bit in January, and um, February was pretty much no riding at all besides the first weekend. And then in March, I couldn't ride until the last half of the month because we had uh, mostly sub-zero temperatures there for a long time. So I started riding more consistently the last half of March, and so now we are... Uh, My goal with him is to ride three times a week and try to do 8 to 12 miles at least twice. And then maybe that third ride go a little bit longer, like, you know, try to go closer to 15. So far, we've the longest we've ridden is about 10 and a half, almost 11 miles. Um, We're just kind of still kind of taking it easy. Um, He's starting to feel more fit now. So this weekend was supposed to be our first ride of the season, but since it was so hard to get him conditioned, or I just didn't feel ready enough, um, we are holding off and we are going to wait till the second weekend of May. So this weekend we are going to get out on a good training ride and really, that will give me a really good gauge of where he's at in his fitness. I feel like the last couple 10 mile rides I've taken him on, he's felt very free and happy and has he recovers pretty well so I think that um, he in two more weeks he'll be even more ready so I'm excited to see um, how he does this weekend but that's kind of where I'm at with my progress right now and I hope that in a couple more weeks I will be able to report to you how our next 50 goes because that's where we are headed from here is 50s and our dream big goal of doing a hundred. So this year it, we are building a base of fifties to just see how far we can go. Hope y'all have a great ride. Bye. Good morning, everybody. It's Keisha from New Mexico with um, the infamous Merlin. And um, we have had quite a few crazy months where we've been off and on, off and on. And it's mostly due to 
personal things and that's life, you know, um, haven't been able to do as much training as I would like, but I still have my same goals. I have signed up to do the Tevis educational ride this year and I am looking forward to it. I don't plan on doing Tevis this year. I'm hoping to do it next year, but I'm training towards that because it is my goal. This weekend, I spent an amazing, magical weekend with um, my mentor, Cressy Drummond, that you guys have heard about on here before. And we went up to a place that's only about an hour and a half from where we live. It's called Fort Stanton. And actually, they have an endurance ride out here in the summer. And if anybody can make it to it, it is so awesome and so beautiful. The trails are very hard they are there's a lot of elevation gain a lot of descent and um, but they also have a lot of flat and you they're very different every ride is very different but um we went out two days we rode 10 miles each day just to go ride the trails that we wanted the horses to kind of know where they would be going we put out some um glow sticks and we put the glow sticks on some markers or on something that may be something that we don't want to run over like a cattle guard or something like that just in case it got too dark but we planned this weekend because it was the full moon the pink moon so um it was beautiful the first night we went out I did not plan for how cold it was going to be it said it would be in the 50s but it ended up getting into the 40s and that's not so fun whenever your toes are cold but we did a crossing on the creek and you could see the moon on the water and um it was just so awesome and this was my first time night training the funny thing is as I was telling Cressy as we were going out and it first started getting dark and it was quiet just riding for a couple minutes by myself I think I could have easily scared myself out of it and turned around and went home thinking that there was a monster behind the every bush waiting to get me but as we ended up going it was so cool and we ended up seeing cows and um, before it got really completely dark we saw deer we saw antelope and what I think was the most calming thing for me is I expected anything or something to run out in the trail a big herd of elk just come across and just blast in front of us and just scare the tar out of the horses and scare me but nothing was scared it was almost like we were together part of them and I don't know if it's the four but you know the four beat gate that's there or what but they just look at you and it made it even more great I think and um, that was the first night and so it was we were did a lot of our riding more in the trees and um, we there were some wildlife water tanks we were able to drink out of cross creeks the second night we went and we did um, a little less mileage but it was a lot more uh, elevation gain in a short distance. We ended up going over a thousand feet uh, gain in just eight miles and thousand feet loss. But it was really interesting because you have to trust your horse to where it's going to place its feet. What I also found very interesting was um, how the distance, your perception of distance and height changes in the dark because we had rode some hills earlier that day. It's the same trail, but we got out there and rode it at night. It was, it seems we were like, we were so much higher. And um, you could see all the lights from far off and we could see the lights from the little city of Capitan and it was just amazing. Um, I think that I would recommend that for anyone just to build a 
a stronger relationship with your horses because you would think that they would be crazy or scared, but I would say that at night they were much more focused and you have to really trust their feet placement and really hand over control and let them be a partner and take it. And so I loved it. it. Made me love my horse more. I think he loves me a little bit more. He was really sweet this morning, but I'm always kind of fond of him. <laughs> but uh, that's our update. We're still at it. It's just um, slow moving. Still got goals. Still working on our goal towards Tevis. Hopefully next year. The goal is 2020. So we will see. But um, it's great to be able to talk to all you guys again. And I can't wait to update you on our next adventure. Hello, Tara Leroy and Bailey checking in from Wisconsin in the middle of the Kettle Moraine State Forest. We are here today actually um, we're just waiting for some friends to pull in Amber and Alice Erickson. We uh, wanted to get the two juniors together for an entertaining ride and hopefully uh, we'll be able to get some entertaining audio from them as well. But while we had a few minutes to kill thought I'd better get this audio file in. Um, beautiful sunny day here, not a cloud in the sky, perfect riding weather. I'm so excited. It's our first time trailering out and riding in the trails. We've only been able to ride at home a few times this year with the weather being what it's been. So needless to say, our conditioning is not going quite as we had anticipated. Um, but we are out here today and it'll be great to get to ride with Amber and Alice. I'm excited about that. Bailey, you want to talk a little bit about some of the goals or things that you'd like to do this year? Ah, uh, no. How many rides do you think that you want to do? Six. Six. And, and what distance? 25 miles. 25 miles. And what's your pony's name? Odie. Odie. And how many have you done so far? One. And when was your first one? A time. <laughs> <laughs> It was October. Okay, October. <laughs> October. Bailey and Odie did their first 25-mile ride together, and they did awesome in the rain and the mud and the cold, and um, actually they did much better than, than my horse did. So that's awesome. She's hoping to get in a bunch in this year, and I've got two horses I'd like to get miles in on both of them this year. Ideally, in a perfect world, I'll be able to reach my 1,000 miles this year. That would be 500 of endurance and 500 limited distance. I need six more LDs to make that happen. I don't know that I have a 50-mile horse in my pasture right now, but time will tell. We'll see what happens. Uh, I got three completions in last year on my mare, and then I want to start my... I've got a black and white paint that I would like to get a few LDs on, too. Uh, he has not done one yet, so hopefully I can get both of them going and just do a handful of rides a year. And uh, we'll just take it slow and easy and see where the trails take us. We will hopefully be checking in soon with Alice and Bailey and the adventures of Junior Giggles trotting down the trail. Until then, ride safely, have fun, and hope to see you soon. Hi, Jenny Chandler here from New Zealand again, continuing my horse-by-horse -horse story of last season and this season. So we're up to Richie now. Um, he's currently seven years old. 
he's my first purebred Arabian and as such he is more sensitive than my partbreds. Um, probably extremely so. I always knew that, you know, purebred was going to be more sensitive. But as I say to people, why did I have to have one on the extreme right end of the bell curve? Um, but he's come right and he is generally a delight. Um, last season, when he was five, I tried to get him going, but he just wasn't ready. He was growing too much. And every time I tried to get him to a ride, he was sore. I was sick. It just didn't happen. He didn't get anywhere. So last season as a six-year-old was his first um, successful time getting out to anything. And we started off just doing a 25-kilometre ride and a 20, then a 20K a couple of weeks later, stepping up to his first 40Ks um, two weeks after that. And we did it in just over four hours, and I was really pleased with him. He was going great. And then a month later, another 40, a month later, another 40, another 40. And then at the Makahiwi Challenge last year, I had my flatmate, Annelise, riding him. He was going to do the three-day 120. Um, and he got through the first 50 k's all right, but being a bit of a softie, he had trouble with the stones. There's quite a bit of gravel on metal roads. Um, and so he'd picked up a bit of a stone bruise, and 50 k's was his longest ride. It had taken them nearly six hours to do it. And his girth had just rubbed up. It wasn't raw, it wasn't sore, but it, it was puffy behind his elbows. So he got through okay, even though he had that bit of a stone bruise. But we pulled him and claimed the 50, and that was fine. Bit of a disappointment, but he was very happy eating lots of carrots. You've seen photos of the carrot trailer. He just loved the fact that he got to spend another two days standing around getting fed lots. So that was okay. So roll on to this season. Oh, and actually, at the end of that season, he was just like sometimes he'd feel great and he's got this, he's kind of got two trots. He's got what is a perfectly ordinary trot, it's okay. And then he has this amazing, really lifts up power from behind, wow trot. And once you've experienced Richie's wow trot, then the other trot is basically what we call his blah trot. So you've got blah or you've got wow and I had noticed towards the end of last season that sometimes he was just feeling a bit off, not really lame, but a bit uneven, and then sometimes he'd be okay. He was always fine on ride day. Um, then, so he did the 50k, and then he was more or less turned out, but I got him back in a couple of months later for a couple of rides just to take him and get his saddle fit checked. And he was lame then, so I don't know if he'd done something in the paddock or what, I'm not sure, but he was going to be turned out for another month or so, so I didn't worry too much about it. And certainly bringing him in this season, um, because I had Lace and Tigger going at the beginning of the season, he was kind of just doing a bit here and there, tootling along, just getting him in really slowly, you know, doing something for a couple of weeks, and then he'd have a couple of weeks off because I was busy and... We did a few what I call ride homes, which are really good. Um, I do a lot of training on road verges. And so going out and back, your young horses can get a bit sticky before they learn, you know, going away from home, it's always a bit meh. So I like to get somebody to drop me off, take, take the float out, drop me off 10 k's from home, and then it's home all the way. Um, but since um, 
my partner Bill got sick and then he died four and a half years ago. I haven't really been able to do that much. But with um, more horses and work, I settled on floating Richie out, leaving the car parked there, ride Richie home. He loved that. He got the hang of it. He was really getting into it and working well. And then I'd take Tigger and ride him out to pick up the float. And that worked really well too because... Tigger is a bit too keen on the way home, so riding him away from home is perfect. So it was working really well. And Richie was feeling great. Um, we started a game with a, a 20k ride one week, 25 the next week, and then stepped up to 40 three or four weeks later. And he was really feeling fantastic. You know, I had the wow trot just about for the whole 40ks, so it was great. He was really loving it. And then I wanted to step him up. He'd spent one season doing 40k rides. He didn't really need to spend another season doing any more of them. So I organised for my friend Ruth to take him in a 60ks. Um, I would be riding Tigger in the 80. Now I hadn't really thought about it prior to this, but all Richie's rides up until this point had been, they would be two day rides. I'd take both horses down. I'd ride Richie on the Saturday. So he'd get off the float after a two or three hour trip, have a bit of a rest, do the pre-ride vet and then bang, we'd be away to do our ride. And then he'd just sit around the next day while I rode Tigger. So this was the first time when he'd come off the float and instead of just getting straight into it, um, I'd waited around for Ruth to turn up. We'd gone for a bit of a ride beforehand and then we discovered that I don't know what the problem was. I think mainly it is that, A, he was feeling a bit full of himself because, hey, he had rested and he was feeling good and he reckoned he knew what he was doing and he was being a bit of a smart-ass. But also she sits slightly differently from me. She sits back a bit more on the saddle. And so the front, I think, was lifting up a bit. And when he went to go downhill, it was slipping forward a bit. It was feeling funny. The saddlecloth wasn't staying in the right place. And since I'd got the... It refitted for him um, in between the seasons. It had been staying put, so she was riding slightly differently. The saddle wasn't sitting normally, and he was just being a bit miffy, but not enough to worry about. But when I came back with Tigger after his first loop of the 80, there was Richie still in his pen. He hadn't gone out on the 60K ride with the others, um, and Ruth was there, and she said he had just been in her, you know, unrideable for her. She was, you know, he was, she said he was trying to buck. Well, he, he doesn't buck, but he does kind of get a little bit elevated and kicks out and does smart ass things. And I think he was probably being pretty naughty and she didn't know him well enough. So she pulled out. So that was, that was disappointing. Um, so I roll on to a month later and he was fine. I rode him the next day and the saddlecloth didn't slip back. We went up and down some small hills at home. There's not much there, but he really he was fine. Um, so I wasn't too worried. He felt great, actually. We had the wow trot. Everything was good. Um, roll on to trying his first 80, and this time I had um, another friend, Emily, riding him. Now, Emily's a bit more experienced. She, like I did, she used to ride track work. That's exercising racehorses. And I said to her the day before because she turned up in the evening she went for a bit of a ride on him and he wasn't even going to let her get on he was being that smart 
So I got on and rode him round a bit and sort of growled at him and said, oi, you know, because he's just being a twat and chucking his head around and being a complete smart-ass idiot. Um, felt fine. Um, and I said to her, I really don't want to come back and find her, find him in the in the yard again after my first loop. And she said, don't worry, he'll be out. We'll get out there. Well, I saw them out on the first loop. Remember, this is his first 80, but he doesn't know that yet. So on the first loop was 40 kilometres, and he was being a complete twat the whole time. I saw them a couple of times, and he's plunging and jumping and just being an idiot and throwing his head around. And Emily was just doing fine, but obviously she couldn't ride him the way we normally would, which would be with a long rein and letting him go along with his head down and using his back and all that kind of stuff. Um, she was riding with my friend Nadine, and as Nadine put it, um, for the second loop, Richie was very, very well behaved and, as Nadine, Nadine said, had regretted some of his former life decisions. Um, he went on to get through the, the whole 80Ks really well and really pleased with him and you know, Emily had a lovely time on the second and third loops and he will have learnt a lot. And then a couple of weeks after that, I took him for a ride, actually floated him out and rode with Nadine at their place and I think he picked up a bit of a stone bruise, nothing major, but like I say, he's um, he's a bit of a wuss and pretty soft-footed. Um, and by this stage, it was, you know, about three three weeks since he'd had his feet done because it was two and a half weeks after the ride. So it's three, three and a half weeks since he'd had his feet done. So they were probably getting a little bit long. And after that, um, I was going to just let his you know, take the shoeing out to five weeks, just not without doing much work, but just so I could, you know, set him up for the next ride because I wanted to get a second 80 in before the end of the season. And he started feeling a bit off. Um, and then my friend rang and another friend, Ashley, rang and she had some Australian visitors coming and she was looking for a horse that the 12-year-old Emma could ride, really good riders, done the... 400 kilometre Shazada, so not worried about her there. Um, and I figured Richie had pulled his head in a bit and would be better behaved. And so I thought, well, I've got to get his feet done as soon as possible because, you know, he's feeling a bit funny because, like, he had a bit at the end of the previous season. And so I got that done and he, he did feel a little bit better. So I put him on the float without checking him on the morning of the ride because... I didn't have anyone to watch him trot up anyway and I didn't want to ride him, I had to get going. And sure enough, got there, the kid rode him, he was being beautifully behaved, but he was lame. Bugger. Um, we nearly got another ride for her, but it fell through. Um, so that was a real shame and wasn't quite sure what to do, didn't really know. Got the farrier out again and checked and the vet, the vet had had a look and he'd, she'd thought, well, there might be a bit of a stone bruise there, but it's hard to tell because he's such a wuss. He flinches at everything. But we were kind of getting a bit of a consistent flinch in one spot and the farrier came out and said, yeah, there might be, but he's not bad. Um, so it was kind of, well, what do I do now? Um, and this is where I've just had a big bonus because um, my... Nephew's fiance came and stayed for two months. She's still here and it's more than two months, so I'm hoping she'll stay. She's my new flatmate. And not only is she doing 
body work. She just spent a year in Melbourne um, last year. Not only has she learned to do body work, but she's also a barefoot trimmer. And looking at Richie, she was able to say, well, you can see this line on his shoulder. That indicates, you know, you can see that occasionally, but you shouldn't be able to see it all the time like you can with him. That's indicating that he's not actually using himself properly, that he's compensating and not working properly, working his muscles correctly. And looking at his feet, he's always had a tendency for his front feet particularly to grow very fast. So when you've got shoes on, he's great when you've just had him done a week or so before, good for the rides. And then, you know, by three weeks, they're looking long and he's feeling a bit meh, particularly at the end of the season, you know. Um, we had a, a ride on him. He'd had a couple of weeks off. I got on, took him for a nice long walk to start with, trotting around. It's like, well, he's not lame, but he feels like shit. Anna hopped on and had a ride and goes, well, yeah, now he, she actually felt worse on a, the other diagonal than he had from me. And again, not lame, but just just feeling wrong and, and not offering that big trot at all. So, so he's sore. And so, you know, she wants to use him as a, as a case study because she hasn't quite finished her barefoot qualification. And so we've taken the shoes off, keeping his feet short rather than letting him in this cycle of long, longer, shorter, because you can't always do them. <clears throat> you know, they're looking long at three weeks. You can't be shoeing them every three weeks. Four weeks, yeah, okay, but sometimes you want to set them up for another ride. You've got to leave at five, and these, you know, it was just wasn't working. Um, so I've learnt a lot from Anna, and <clears throat> just by having his shoes off, and making sure that those toes stay at the right angle all the time. You can see already just after a month how the hoof is growing back at a completely different angle, which is just so interesting and exciting to see. So watch this space and we'll see how Richie gets on um, next season, probably as a barefoot horse wearing boots. So he was the last horse I would have thought would have coped um, being barefoot because he's such a wuss. But you know, I'm learning so much and it'll be exciting to see. Catch you later. Hi, Daryl from New Zealand. Easter weekend was our Equestrian Sport New Zealand Endurance National Champs. Our team plan was to have five horses lining up to start the 160k big ride. We had Camille Champagne from Australia riding Scratch, my chestnut, and Jenny Chandler on Salty. Jenny has ridden alongside me many times when I've been on Scrow and Salty, but had never actually ridden him before, so she came over for a test ride a couple of weeks before. We'd been out about half an hour, I guess, and she asked me if I ever managed to get him to trot on the left diagonal. I told her that yes, he indeed he could. He kind of skips, but if you bring his speed back a little bit, his gait improves. I did a lot of work on it a number of years ago to get back that balance. He started out very one-sided, but persistence and schooling made a big difference. So Jenny and he had a bit of a discussion and they came to the, uh, to the decision that yes, Jenny did know what she was doing and he was going to do what she told him and they had a pretty good ride after that. So far, so good. Still on track for five riders and five horses in the 160. Packing up and organising to have five horses all running in one event is exponentially more complex than having two or three I've discovered. With our whole team riding, we now had to work out crew. And with crew... We then had to work out feeding and accommodating those crew. Most of said crew were also not experienced in endurance crewing. I was so relieved then to find out that Richard Armstrong, a member of Jenny's normal crewing team, was going to be there for us. 
Richard's the kind of guy who inspires confidence because he just knows what he's doing. And if he doesn't, he works it out. And if he can't work it out, then he sits back and he thinks, hang on a second, I've read something about this or, or I've experienced something like this before. What do we do about that with, with this other horse? So with Richard there and my mother on board, I, was, I felt a lot more at ease with crewing. Richard, in particular, absolutely was a saving grace for the day. He, I credit him with my having got around so far because I relied on him so much for crewing. Anyway, we got down to the base on the Thursday and found out that Jenny wasn't going to be able to ride after all. An infected toe meant she felt, didn't feel able to do justice to the horse over that distance. Quandary. What to do now with a 160k ready horse and no rider? What we do is drop him down to a novice 80km ride and put our foreign exchange student Junior on him for her second 80. Wonderful! I had conceded that we weren't going to be able to get her through her novice criteria, so this was the perfect opportunity to do that since Jenny had stepped aside. She didn't step aside too far, as it turned out. Despite being quite sore, she ran salty out for Vera at every vetting, and they got through. Yay! Great job to all. Vera can now go back to the Netherlands as an endurance rider. Great riding by Vera, being thrown in on an unfamiliar horse without any of us to ride with. And great crewing by all to help her get there. Thank you so much, Jenny. Our Australian rider, Camille, arrived on the Friday morning, and we were all set to go. Four horses and four horses in the one... Four horses and four riders, I should say, in the 160. So Mike on Blazer, Ruth on Dusty, Camille on Scratch and me on Bonnie. That's a first for our team, plus the junior in the 80. Our 160-kilometre rides start at 1am here in New Zealand. We fed the horses, grabbed an early dinner and a shower and then got to bed at around 7pm. Four, four hours sleep and we were up and tacking up for our 1am start. The ride base for the equestrian centre is not far from the Waikato River and the mist sits in the valley making visibility a bit challenging sometimes. So for this ride I was on Bonnie, who is the only mare we have competing. This was her fourth 160k start. She's gone out lame twice and metabolics once before and another ride where she didn't even get her to the start line because she had a, an issue um, in our exercise ride before the before vetting which we found out was uh, down to selenium we think so we fixed that one we think anyway so for this ride I was determined to take it slow and steady from the beginning keep enough in the tank for the final loops and not get sucked into the higher speeds this course tempts you into I always loved this course there were a few new bits in it this year as well I remember one year I was riding with someone else on this track and we got completely lost. Couldn't see markers anywhere, could hardly see the ground in front of us in the, in the fog. It was ridiculous. We were on the airstrip. We knew exactly where we were. There's a fence up one side and one up the other, and the gate's to the right up at the other end. But we still couldn't find the markers, so we basically rode up the fence to the end and then traced it back around to the gate. I mean, how can you get lost on an airstrip? Anyway, this year, the first loop went well. Ruth and I rode pretty much together and we kept pulling the horses back to the speed we wanted them at when they managed to creep it up a bit, which was frequently. We had a great first vetting and were back out on track. The second loop, we kept up a pretty steady, slow pace again and then about five k's from the finish, we came around the corner to find a rider on the ground and my teammate Camille off helping her. The rider had fallen pretty much in her face and was certainly concussed. Camille had her phone with her and had called back to base for a rescue. The horse had a nosebleed, but we figured it was best to keep the horse moving, so Ruth kept going and, and leading the horse back in. 
while Camille and I waited with the rider. Horse was fine, just um, took a little while, you know, others took the horse over when they got back and, um, and Ruth was able to carry on with her ride. Meanwhile, back with the rider, I put my fleece around her <clears throat> to try and, to cry and keep her a bit warm. And then after about half an hour, 45 minutes, the car and first aider arrived and Camille and I carried on. By now, our horses had been standing around in the cold of the hour after dawn for quite some time, and in the aftermath, I'm wondering if it didn't do Bonnie much good. That vetting was a bit slower, and we had a 60-72 for heart rate. Definite warning sign. The vet's okayed us to continue, with a warning to take it easy, so I did. Her heart rate was acceptable all day, but not convincing. So I knew that, you know, I wasn't particularly, it wasn't a particularly comfortable ride um, all day long, really. We came through all the, the other loops okay. The fourth loop we, I considered pulling out and I got convinced to carry on. Um, it should be okay. So we did, came through that, last, that one. And the fifth loop, man, we had a 56-56 for heart rate. It was brilliant, really good. So anyway, the winners had, um, had already come in. They'd finished their, their, loop, their, their last loop and I put my head torch back on my, on my helmet and my fleece back around my shoulders and um, headed off into the failing light to do my last 18 Ks. I knew I was sort of, I knew I should, with a 56-56 at the end of that fifth loop, I knew that I was, I was in with a shot, you know, with a, with a better than even chance of completing, but I wasn't going to be silly about it. The sun going down and the chill creeping in, it was a, re a real catch-22 between walking the whole loop to look after a heart rate, but maybe letting her get chilled and going out on metabolics anyway. So I opted to keep a slow, steady trot. We took the full time for vetting, but still couldn't get a heart rate down. We had a 72.80, so we were out. Everything else, however, was perfect. Didn't have thumps, didn't have, you know, she was, hydration was brilliant, she was perky, membranes were good, um, absolutely everything brilliant, just high heart rate. The blood tests came back showing low calcium, so I maybe need to do a bit of learning around that. It's a hard one because you can overdo it with calcium so easily. And I've been advised by several people since not to rush in and increase daily calcium intake. I've analysed her past performance history to see if I could see a pattern, but there isn't one. So I'm inclined to think that maybe standing around in the freezing cold for half an hour early in the ride didn't do any favours, and from that point I know it's up against it. Having said that, I'm proud to have got her through the whole distance. She's never done that before, so we did well. And several bags of fluids and calcium later, after about half an hour of, her heart rate was down and she was just fine. Um, now, four or five days later, she's out in the paddock, quite happy, could probably go out and do it all over again. So I, I think I probably did a, we as a team, me as a rider, probably did not too bad a job because she has actually come through it quite well and she now actually has done that whole distance, never done it before. We all hate it when we break our ponies. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty happy, I just don't have the buckle. Never mind, maybe I'll get to do it again next year. In the meantime, Camille and Scratch had unfortunately pulled a shoe in the fifth loop, which I think ultimately led to their going out lame at the very end, and Mike and Blazer had a big slip in the fourth loop and went out lame at the, one, at the 120k mark. Ruth and Dusty, however, had an amazing day. Despite a couple of looks from her during the day, which she will deny, I'm sure, Ruth brought that horse through with flying colours and I've just seen the video of their finish. Dusty looked amazing. They took third place and got the buckle. Great job and I'm very proud of both of them. Out of five horses, four of them finished their distances with two successful completions and all horses looked great afterwards.
The injured rider, incidentally, got brought back to base and checked out by the, by the paramedics. They had her in blankets and in front of the fire, but were having real trouble getting her warm. And then, apparently, she said, Oh, should I take my chiller vest off? She wears a chiller vest for extra weight, and her clothes were wet underneath. As soon as they took the vest off, they were able to warm her up, and she looked okay when I saw her sitting with, near the vet ring during the day. They were able to get her husband to come over with a driver to collect her and her horse, because she certainly wasn't going to be driving. So that was our nationals. We had a um, we had successes, but it wasn't a it wasn't completely unqualified success. It was a really good weekend, great weekend. The atmosphere was brilliant, uh, really good camaraderie, good teamwork, um, brilliant atmosphere. I really really enjoyed my weekend. So that's about the end of it for our season here in New Zealand. I'm ride organizer for a ride in a couple of weeks' time, which is what I should be doing right now. And then we're into the admin end of the, se- into the season, and all going well. I may have a certain Australian ride coming up in a couple of months as well, so I'll be able to update on that one. More next time. This is Courtney Kruger. I've been doing ride and tie since 2012, and for this episode, I want to begin by telling you a little bit about Bud Johns. Bud Johns is the founder of the sport of ride and tie, although he is not the founder of the discipline of ride and tie, as he is quick to tell us in his wonderful book, What Is This Madness? Bud Johns passed away back on February 15th of 2019 at 90 years of age, and the whole ride and tie community is very much going to miss him, but we are so thankful that he invented this sport that we love so much. The sport goes back into antiquity, or at least the discipline goes back into antiquity, and he found a reference from 1737. Uh, English literary giants Samuel Johnson and Henry Fielding make reference to it. Uh, Mr. Johnson was making a trip with a man named Joseph Andrews, and they didn't have a lot of money, and they had to go about 120 miles to London, and so they did it using the discipline of ride and tie, and Henry Fielding writes about this 1737 trip. I want to read to you what uh, Bud Johns found about that. Fielding writes, Mr. Adams discharged the bill and they both were setting out having agreed to ride and tie, a method of traveling much used by persons who have but one horse between them and is thus performed. The two travelers set out together, one on horseback, the other on foot. Now, as it generally happens that he on horseback outgoes him on foot, the custom is that when he arrived at the distance agreed on, he is to dismount, tie the horse to some gate, tree, post, or other thing, and then proceeds on foot. When the other comes up to the horse, he unties him, mounts, and gallops on till, having passed by his fellow traveler, he likewise arrives at the place of tying. And that is the method of traveling so much in use among our prudent ancestors." Bud Johns used to like to tease that Mary and Joseph used the discipline of ride and tie to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem before Jesus was born, but of course he could never prove that exactly. The sport of ride and tie was uh, hatched, I suppose you might say, in 1960. Bud Johns was a journalist, he was a newspaper reporter, and he took a side job to help a California real estate developer develop their property or advertise their property, and the name of the property was to be Pine Valley or the Pine Valley Resort, and so he made a little newspaper called the Pine Valley Partisan, and the owners of the resort suggested that he invent some story about Pine Valley that might make it exciting, connect it to the old Wild West or whatever to make people uh, perhaps want to come and take a look at it or, or, or of course, even 
even buy it. And Bud Johns, knowing that uh, truth is often stranger than fiction, discovered that actually Pine Valley had a real story that was even more interesting than anything he could probably make up. The owner, back in 1873, was a Captain William Emery, and it turned out that cattle rustlers, or horse rustlers, stole 14 of his horses from his property and made off to Mexico with them. And so Captain Emery and his son Charles began to chase those uh, horse thieves. The only problem was they only had one horse left. All of the horses had been stolen, and so they used the uh, method of riding tie, and they called it that. Uh, Charles Emery, the 16-year-old son, wrote, Father and I started for San Diego, ride and tie. That is one starting riding, the other walking. The rider, after covering a suitable distance, would tie the horse and proceed on foot. The other, on reaching the horse, would mount, ride past the walker, and repeat the procedure. In this manner, we covered about 40 miles in a day, bringing us to the present site of La Mesa. And they were in La Mesa, Mexico. They uh, let some of the authorities know what was going on. The authorities went, found the rustlers. Of course, in those days, if you were a horse thief, you were shot. And that's what happened to those rustlers. And the 14 horses were able to be returned back to Pine Valley. And so Bud Johns tells that story in uh, the Pine Valley Partisan and is expecting and, and even puts in the newspaper, next year we're going to have a recreation of this and we're going to make it a race and it'll be a ride and tie race. However, the real estate market went bust at that point and Pine Valley went bankrupt and so there was never another edition of Pine Valley Partisan. There was never a ride and tie race at Pine Valley and ride and tie had to wait for another 11 years before being started. By that point, Bud Johns had become in uh, had become a marketing person for the Levi Strauss and Company, and they were looking for a sport that would be true to their brand that they could promote and and use uh, for advertising. And they couldn't find just the right sport. Nothing just seemed to be just right for the brand. And so they uh, asked Bud Johns, "What should we do?" And he said. I know what we should do. I have a sport I've been waiting to try. And so he uh, came up with some rules, came up with the idea, and Ride and Tie was born in 1971. And the first race was run in 1971. And so we will be celebrating uh, in 2020 the 50th running of the World Championship Ride and Tie. Levi Strauss no longer sponsors it, uh, but we will be remembering that and, and sponsoring and running that in, in 2020. And that'll be out in California. Hey everyone, this is Crystal from Minnesota. Um, I was at a ride and my friend Jenny Furix, we rode on and off, I mean not together together, but we were from the Minnesota Distance Riding Association, we're both members, and she rode all season just like I did, and she always came in, you know, behind the front runners and never got a ribbon. Um, so we were at the final ride of the season. It's called Point Chaser. And we were at um, the Friday night, like, awards part or whatever. And one of the friends, Tony Von Ruden, uh, presented her in front of everybody a homemade ribbon uh just signifying all her hard work and the fact that she was working so hard and it just made her cry and it melted my heart because 
I know how that feels just to always be behind the ribbon winners. Um, and it made, it made her cry, obviously, and it teared the rest of us up. But the catch of that story is the next day we rode the 30 mile together and she won her first ribbon. So that ride was just awesome. Until we meet again on our next adventure. In upcoming episodes, I may tell some more of the stories that Bud Johns tells in What Is This Madness? Because he's a great storyteller and has some wonderful stories to tell. Uh, he tells lots of both the adventures and the misadventures that happened uh, in the first uh, 15 or so years that Ride and Tie uh, was running. But I thought I would end uh, the segment for this week with a few misadventures of my own. Uh, and the first misadventure is I made a recording literally around the campfire at Giddy Up and Run back in the first weekend of April. And and then somehow managed to lose that recording, or my cell phone managed to lose that recording. And so I'm going to re-record those uh, from the people that told those stories. But the theme that evening just kind of was misadventures. And we told some of the funny things uh, that happened uh, in Ride and Tie. And so I'm going to share a few of my own uh, Two times I have started ride and tie races with a very stiff and painful back. Uh, I kind of have an intermittent back problems and uh, I've never had trouble while I was out running or riding, but it's always beforehand, maybe the week before or whatever. And twice I started and there was just nothing I could do to kind of fix my back. And both times, as fate would have it, I fell off the horse and it was an instant fix. Uh, the first time was my daughter Sarah and I were in a race up at um, uh, Virginia Highlands and we're going through what they call the rangelands which is some, some big huge fields where they graze cattle and I could see my daughter running maybe a tenth or two tenths of a mile ahead of me and I was on the horse and I was uh, cantering through this field and you know, the old adage is you have to ride the horse every step and I really quit riding the horse and I started looking at her and I was planning our our exchange and thinking about our exchange i really wasn't thinking about about riding wasn't really paying attention and there was a big white rock on the edge of the field and cruz saw that rock when we got to it and he spooked right next to it and just kind of jumped sideways like horses will do sometimes and it was almost one of those uh cartoon kind of things all of a sudden the horse is out from under me and i'm just kind of in midair uh and of course i didn't really pause but it kind of felt like it and then i fell uh, to the ground and i happened to fall and kind of land a little little bit on my back and um, Cruz just immediately stopped and kind of came back to me like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to, 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 to drop you off there. Uh, and as soon as I stood up, my back felt better. It was really weird. So I jumped back on him and went and caught Sarah and, and we went and finished the race and my back didn't bother me anymore uh, for a while. The uh, other time that happened was about, I guess, three years ago or so. And my partner was Janice Heltbridal and we were using her horse, Pete. And at the beginning of the race, Pete was just really, really hyped up, had big time race brain. And right as the race started, Pete started bucking and he tossed Janice onto the ground. And of course, I was already on the ground. I grabbed Pete and I said, are you okay? And I think she was a little embarrassed as we always are when, when that kind of thing happens. And she said, I'm fine. And she jumped back on Pete and took off. And we had positioned my wife, Lee, about a mile down the road because the first mile or so of this race was um, uh, on a dirt road. And so 
Lee held Pete for me, and when I caught up, I got on him, and, and she knew that Janice had been thrown, and she said that Janice was fine, and I got on Pete, and almost immediately, he starts kind of bucking with me a little bit, and, and I fought him and fought him and fought him for maybe half a mile, and finally, he decided he was tired of me fighting him, and he, he bucked me off, and I landed directly on my back, and my back had really been bugging me, and that was the first time I'd ever done a night race, and I told Lee before the race I was really scared because my back was hurting, and I knew we were going to be racing in the dark, and I was afraid that my back might go out of me, and I'd be stuck out in the woods all night long with a hurt back, um, and in the dark, and all that kind of stuff, uh, but as soon as I landed, once again, uh, and this time, fortunately, I was wearing a, a hydration backpack, and I landed on that backpack, and the water in the pack kind of acted like a an airbag or a water bag but as soon as I landed my back felt fine and uh, Pete kind of settled down after that and we finished the race uh, and I should mention Pete was the 2018 ride and tie horse of the year he had the most mileage last year so he really has become quite the the ride and tie horse the other uh, or last story I want to tell a little misadventure is is really a funny time about me getting thrown off and I wasn't from I didn't have a bad back or a hurt back that day but this was just back the first weekend of March this year and I I was riding my horse Coda in our first race of the year. My brother-in-law Mark was my partner. We were doing the 25-mile race at Kings Mountain uh, uh, Battlefield. And we were going through the woods, and I've told you before, and I think Lee even mentioned in the last episode, how when we train and she's riding the horse and I'm running ahead, when the horse sees the runner, they tend to accelerate and they get really excited. Well, I was on Coda's back at about mile, I don't know, 8 or 10, and uh, the trail had a big drop down in it. Maybe it dropped down about 3 feet or so, and then it ran along for 6 or so feet, and then it came back up 3 feet. Just, just a great big dip in the trail. And we had just entered into that dip. We'd come down into the dip, and Coda looked up, and he saw Mark right ahead of us. And he got excited, and he kind of forgot what he was doing, I think, and he tripped a little bit, and he fell. But he fell across the dip on the other side, and so his neck just kind of ended up right at ground level. But of course, he was falling, and he was stopping, and so I was thrown forward, and I came off of him, but I came off of him at ground level. And so it's pretty astounding. I've laughed about it ever since. He's a 15-2 hand horse, and yet I fell off of him, and I fell off him, and maybe fell an inch. Uh, so if you got to fall off a horse, uh, that's the way probably to do it. So those are three uh, little misadventures that I have had and hopefully I'll be able to record some of the other ones again and let the actual participants in the other adventures tell them. In the meantime, I hope that some of you might try Ride and Tie. Who knows? Horse officers may show up at your place one day and take all but one of your horses and the only way to catch them will be to ride and tie that horse to go and catch those rustlers. Hi there Endurance Horse Podcast listeners. My name is Shelley Bates and I'm a new contributor to the podcast. I'm from Crawley in the United Kingdom, that's in the south half of the country. Uh, Christina got in touch with me about a month ago or so and asked me to contribute to the podcast, which I was very flattered by, uh, especially because I had never come across Christina before um, or the podcast, but I've since been avidly listening and it's been great hearing all your stories. Uh, just thought I'd introduce myself briefly in this one and tell you a bit about the horses that I ride and how I got into endurance um, and then hopefully I'll be a regular contributor uh, with, the, with the podcast. 
I'm 38 years old, I know that not many people mention that actually, um, and I'm also a serving British Army officer in the British military, um, and uh, so that makes life interesting. Um, for example, I'm currently on an eight-hour drive uh, from where I work I'm in Glasgow in Scotland down home, down to home uh, to go and see my horses. I normally fly down every weekend, but um, this time I'm starting the, the big move down because I've been posted back down south. So in about um, two months' time, I'll be able to see my horse every day instead of just at the weekend, which I'm very excited about. The horses uh, that I have... I own one horse, um, he's called Orion, he's now 20 years old um, and he's a purebred Arabian um, and he's pure white, he's just so beautiful apart from during the winter which it is at the moment when he just looks like a, a shaggy teddy bear um, and like he should be out on the hills as his native pony rather than a sleek endurance Arab. Um, I'm also really fortunate to help my friend with her three horses one of whom is a horse I ride in endurance competitions. She's called Sidira, um, and she is a bay purebred Arab mare. Um, and I will tell you all about them in, in sort of separate podcasts at a later date. Um, I, I got into horses uh, very young, although I didn't really have anyone around me that was mad about horses. It's always been something I've wanted to be involved in from doing pony rides as a child and then having lessons as a sort of teenager um, and then just mucking around with you know friends friends horses I was very lucky growing up that I had some access to them um, and then I had a bit of a break in my 20s and it wasn't until I moved back to the UK because I spent five years in Germany with work uh, that I finally decided that it was the time to get my own horse and that's where Orion came in so I've had him years now um, and I brought him specifically in mind to do endurance riding. I got interested in endurance riding when I was about uh, 14. Um, I read an article in one of our horse magazines we had over here and I was looking after an Arab mare at the time called Tila um, and I read this article they were doing a series of articles on what you could do with Arabian horses. Uh, one week it was about Arabian racing and then the next week it was about endurance riding and I'd always loved hacking out and just exploring the countryside for hours and hours and so I read this article and it was about a lady here in the UK called Jill Thomas and her horse um, that were getting ready to go to I think it was the World Equestrian Games at the time or the World Championships um, and there were really high hopes for them both um, and so I've always kind of re remembered that article and I did have it stashed away somewhere um, it's probably still up in the loft um, but I couldn't do endurance riding at that stage but it's always been something I've followed and then just before I moved back to the UK I started volunteering at events when I came back to visit my folks at the, um, at the holidays and things and at weekends um, and then I finally got my horse with which to do endurance riding. Um, that didn't quite go to plan straight away um, and I think that is a story best saved when I tell you all about Orion and our history and what we've been up to um, but I've stayed with endurance riding because I absolutely love going on horseback exploring places and seeing new parts of the country 
um, and the bond that you get with your horse and having to cope with everything that is in your way, be that gates or ditches or tree stumps or farm animals around um, where we are as well there's probably lots more traffic and buildings and uh, urban areas as well than in some some sort of the bigger places um, so we get to see a bit of everything um, and it's that that makes it interesting uh, um, my goals for the year so I'm still um, riding not riding Orion in endurance this year but I am riding Sidera and I do have a small goal this year of doing my first one star uh, race at the Royal Windsor Horse Show in May. Um, so we're just becoming, just coming into our endurance season. Uh, the first couple of rides have happened already um, and a ride that I organise is on uh, next week, so early March. Um, and I can tell you about how that goes as well in another post. There's loads of subjects for posts for me. Um, and uh, yeah, so training is moving along, but obviously, as I mentioned, it's quite difficult when you see the hard weekend. So we have other ways of, of helping us get ready. Um, anyway, I'll leave it there for now. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening to my ramblings for sort of five minutes, um, and I'll, I'm sure I can give you some more stories on the next post. Thanks for listening. again. It's Lindy from Florida. I am a card-carrying member of the Loyal Order of the Turtle, and I wanted to share some of what I've learned along the trail over the past few months. Turtle reflections, if you will. First, a little background about my endurance partner, Chief. Chief is a large-boned Rockabian. He is more Rocky than Arabian. His mother was a racking Arab named Dixon Silver Charm. Chief doesn't gate, and that's a good thing, because if he did, he would have been in the show ring, and I never would have met him, and he wouldn't have been my blessing. I love this horse. He is my heart and soul. Chief does share the keen observational skills of the Arab. He is so aware of smells and potentially sometimes invisible dangers hiding in the bushes. He has a real strong sense of self-preservation and is really good at conserving his energy, which I think is a rocky trait, not necessarily an Arab trait. We live down in Florida, and we're done competing until fall. While the rest of the country is celebrating daffodils and enjoying spring, down in the swamp, we are watching the temperatures rise. It's been getting up into the 90s, with dew points in the 70s. And although I fantasize about traveling around the country to enjoy the beautiful riding weather in the different regions, my reality is I have a full-time job. I need that job to keep my roof over my head, my horses fed, and to support my horse habit, at least until I strike it rich in the lottery. This past ride season has been wonderful. Chief and I have had a 100% completion rate, which is always our first goal. Of all three rides we attended, Chief and I turtled them all. You could say we're natural turtles. And we don't do this, it just happens. At one of the rides, I was heading out on my second loop, and the timer mentioned that there were two people behind us. I was stunned. She must have known from the look on my face that I was shocked about something. And so she smiled and said, well, those two riders did come off on the first loop, which explained a lot because I couldn't imagine anybody behind me. Riding against the clock can be stressful. 
My goal for future rides, this is my resolution, it's not even the new year, is to complete with at least 30 minutes to spare among a multitude of other things. At the Gothi Benefit Ride in Ataniya, Chief and I crossed the finish line with only four minutes to spare. The last ride of the season, we had nine minutes before the cutoff time, which was an improvement down to the wire, but we completed. When you compound that with the fact that Chief doesn't pulse down quickly, at these rides, between four to 15 minutes to pulse down before finishing, we are playing beat the clock, and I want to get out of that, but we've got to practice. As I reflect back on my turtle season, I would like to share some helpful hints so that if you tend to finish towards the back of the pack like we do, these could maybe help you get your completion. Number one, manage your hold times effectively. I set my watch so that 30 minutes before my out time, I'm reminded to get started to go again. I didn't used to do this. In my previous season, I allowed myself to get distracted with friends and their horse that needed a recheck, and I ended up leaving 15 minutes late. We really didn't have that time to spare and had to move out, at least move out for us, on the second loop in order to get our completion. Number two, pay careful attention to trail ribbons. Turtles do not have extra time to get lost. On the bright side, we aren't likely to be flying past the trail markers either. So staying focused is super important because when you're in the saddle a long time, it's easy to get distracted, at least for me. Three, don't dawdle on the trail. Be aware of how much extra time you have and don't waste it. I save any extra time I have for water stops and sponging. When I do stop to help somebody, I remain aware of the time so that I try to keep us out of the time crunch. I, I will help, but I can't stop for a long time. When you're a turtle, it does not take much of a delay to get you into a pickle. Four, when the riders on longer distances pass you up, take advantage of that horse's energy. Keeping a respectful distance, of course, I pick up the pace after they pass us. For some strange reason, Chief likes trotting behind another horse more than he does trotting out on his own, especially when we've been on the trail for a little while. Number five, big guys like Chief do not pulse down as quickly as the Arabs, so I dismount about a mile out and loosen his girth and walk in. And for the cooling, number six, water, 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 more than I ever thought would be necessary. After carefully cutting out bleach bottles for scoops that didn't work so well, I saw Heather and Jeremy Reynolds using plastic feed scoops for water dousing. I couldn't believe how much better they were than my flimsy beach bottles bleach bottles, and I already had several of those feed scoops in my tack room, so I didn't even have to cut out those bottles and watch all those YouTube videos, but anyway, I've never ceased to be amazed about all the things I have to learn in this sport. Seven, I invested in a handheld pulse monitor this year, and that helped me know when I'm finally ready to go into the pulse box. Some upsides about being a turtle are, it's not all bad, turtles get more ride time for their money. Turtles have more time to enjoy the view. You never know when you're going to find something that someone might have dropped. People really appreciate a retrieved tooth food or whatever now and again. I get to meet riders from the other distances. Often I have somebody who's either doing a 50 or a 75 coming up from behind. I love watching them ride. And it's just really cool to, to be able to see what they do and the pace that they hold for a longer distance than we do. So I find that super inspirational. And I wanna thank everybody who's passed me this year. <laughs>
Anyway, that's all for now. Wishing you a happy, healthy ride season. Chief and Lindy, signing off. Hey, this is Chris from Wisconsin, and nope, it's not the end of the podcast. I thought that I would add in a little something about the horse I've been conditioning the most so far this spring. And when I say spring, (laughs) Jim and I are looking at about four inches of snow that just fell. I mean, it was 70-some degrees last week, and I was conditioning, and we literally, um, it looks like the middle of January right now. The only thing that tells you that it's not is that the birds are singing. <laughs> so it's quite the strange contrast here. So I wanted to share a little bit about Grace. Um, Grace will be 13 next, uh, in about two months. We've had her her whole life. We owned her mother and her father. And um, her mom is just the most sweet horse you'd ever want to meet. She was a American paint horse named Bailey. And... Her father is Carino's Fire, and he's an Arab tricaner. And Grace pretty much has just been kind of a trail horse most of her life, and she's so laid back. I, I just can't even tell you. Like, she, she's definitely not a beginner's horse, but the personality on the ground is like none other I've ever had before. She's a lover. She just... I could see her in my living room, literally, because she'd probably just lay there with her head on my lap. She's just the biggest sweetheart. Um, And isn't that part of why we like distance riding so much is because we get to spend time with the horse that we have. So I've been taking her out. I have a schedule for her. She's doing really well. I'm just not so sure she'll uh, be even an LD horse, but we'll see. I, I like training her for it. What could you say about Grace, Jim? She is a lovey-dovey. She's the horse that will leave her grain to come snuggle with you at the gate. And, and she's just a, a people lover. <laughs> she's like a big puppy. and She's like a puppy stuck in a horse body. Um, she's she's kind of catching on to the interval training I've been giving her. And her feet are toughening up, which is my biggest problem because I have a hard time getting my pastures to dry out just the lay of our land is very difficult to get the pastures to dry up but um seems to be taking it fine she's a heavier muscled horse she's definitely not super refined by any means or any stretch of the imagination she's the kind of girl that uh jim and i rode the other day and we kind of thought maybe there was a horse loose in the woods and she'll leave that other horse that she's been with like in a heartbeat she'll just turn around you're almost to the trailer you can turn her around and leave the trailer, leave the area that she's been riding towards, and just say, nope, we have to go this way. And she's like, oh, great, we're going this way. Oh, let's go. And boom, she just, she's with you. Her sister, which is her half-sister, is completely the opposite, which I've told Tara several times. If I'm ever riding Faith with you, please don't ever take off ahead of me, because (laughs) unless you want to, like, do first aid and call an ambulance. Don't ever, because Faith is the opposite. She's very insecure and doesn't really want to leave the other horses. But Grace, everything's an adventure to her. Anybody that might have, like, maybe trimmed some trees in the woods, she goes, oh, that could be a trail. And then she wants to go that way. And for one thing for sure is don't ever 
you know, some I've had some horses where you could just go, mm, not sure the way home, loosen the reins and the horse will find the way. That is not Grace. <laughs> you don't know where you would maybe end up with Grace because she has an adventurer's heart and a lover's soul. So that's my girl. We'll keep you updated. Bye for now. Hey everybody, hope you enjoyed episode 17. This is Chris. And Jim. And Houdini and Grace, and it's my birthday today. I realized I recorded the beginning of the intro before my birthday. I just waited a few more days, got some more files in for you, and uh, trying to make it the best possible episode that we could. Had a pretty great birthday, had a bonfire last night. Took the kids to grandma's. I had a big bonfire. Big, beautiful bonfire that Jim and Harlan built. And uh, Jim knows how to set a good fire. So we sat out there with the kids and the dogs last night. Um, then this morning, took the kids to grandma's. Went out to the cafe for lunch. Picked up my saddle. Loaded up the horses. And went on a ride. Beautiful day today. It is beautiful. So how's it to be back in the saddle? Jim only rode because it's my birthday, and I begged him to. Happy birthday. I love you. Love you. Beautiful day for a ride. So so was it too bad? Nope. You can do it again. No saddle sores. That's good. Hopefully these stirrups help. We had the stirrups turned on one of our saddles. So hopefully that will help with any knee pressure. Message from Bridget Helms. Have a great birthday ride. <laughs> I hope that recorded. I'm going to leave that in there. <laughs> I don't know if it did. That's awesome. Anyways, guys, send in for episode 18. And uh, look forward to hearing from everybody, hearing your updates. And if, even if you're not going to a ride, we want to hear from you, how things are going with your horse. And uh, if you guys want to get a theme going, we'll try to get some themes going. But I'll just be honest, it's riding season. I'm not going to chase people down <laughs> for themes um so if 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 you want to i will uh put a theme out there and if we get one or five or ten we'll put them in there so y'all enjoy your your riding and we'll see you down the trail bye now Hey Bridget, thank you. Uh, we checked and it and it sure did uh, pop up and record. So that's that's really funny. Um, thanks for the endemental pep talk. We were recording the outro right then. And I just wanted to say Jim and I are out here hand grazing the horses, ready to get back on. Um, and both of us were like, when we paused it to stop the recording, we're like, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say either. But you know what? That's not why we do the podcast. It's not because I am a radio personality or even know what to say. I don't even like leaving voicemail. But what I do like is seeing the endurance community come together and the ride and tie people uh, becoming part of our community and everybody just getting to be more friendly and showing the positivity that is in the sport of distance riding. So you all have a blessed day. We'll talk to you later. We enjoyed having you along for the ride. 
Endurance Horse Podcast is where you get to share your adventures of riding good horses through beautiful country. Many stresses in life are washed away by a good gallop, a steady trot, or by simply saddling up your favourite horse for an easy ride. Remember, every mile a memory. She talks about him, dreams about him, thinks about him all the time. She's got to have him, be lost without him. You can see it in her eyes. What is it? What is it with girls and horses? She says, now when I was a young girl, they were my whole 